Dispatch. Packets of fire all around. Dear Chief, much has happened since we last spoke. Welcome to Dear Chief Podcast, where your hosts and their guests share the 411 of being married to the people who respond to 911s. Take a peek into fire family life and get unabashed advice on how to prevent forest fires in your marriage. Now, here's your hosts, two seasoned firewives, Audra and Chelsea. Guest today, we had scheduled for season three, but you know, life, we're all very busy. So we had to reschedule it a few times. Um, but we finally nabbed him with over 750 episodes and 5 million downloads to date, probably more by this date. Behind the Shield is the most downloaded firefighter wellness podcast on the planet. And we have the host, James Gearing, on with us today. Welcome, James. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, we since I think we set up originally, I believe uh, someone was ill last time that we were scheduled which, you know, that's life, as you said, which I'm late to this interview because of uh, a life event as well. But now I just hit 800 episodes. So uh, it's pretty crazy. Seven years in 800 episodes. So it's a lot of incredible people have lent their work and life story to the podcast for free, which is humbling to say the least. Seven years. Oh my gosh, Chelsea and I feel like we've been doing it for seven years, but it's only been like three. <laughs> that's nuts. Wow. I remember I put my hand on my heart and say, I remember a friend of mine who had a one that was, I think he was kind of baseball focused and he was saying he had a podcast and I'm like, what is this kind of Jetson speak that you're talking about podcasts and, you know, ridiculing him in the firehouse. And then a couple of years later, I started one. So I got to put my, take my foot out of my mouth for that one. Yeah. Audra and I ironically thought that no one would listen to our podcast because who's going to listen to a couple of firewives rambling, right? Four years later and here we are. So... <laughs> Apparently a lot of people want to listen to us ramble. I don't know. When I when I was earlier in my podcast, people would kind of write to me or call me and be like, hey, I'm thinking of, of starting one. I don't want to step on your toes. I'm like, you know, firstly, I didn't come up with the podcast, so it's it's fair game. But secondly, I think this kind of open source communication, you know, being present in a conversation is so needed that anyone who's threatened by the inception of a new podcast needs to kind of look in the mirror because to me, the more the merrier. Some people are going to relate to yours and listening and, and that perspective. Other people are going to want to listen to hear a, a English guy with Tourette's ranting about wellness from my perspective. So, you know, and there's, there's a fit for all of us. But uh, I think the more of us are out there, you know, the less likely people are to go to the mainstream stuff, which I argue makes things worse than more than it does better these days. We were just talking about that just the other day with mainstream information that's totally inaccurate. So yeah, got a lot of that going on, especially in the fire service, it seems. Anyway, so we just went off on a tangent there for a second, folks, but we're going to get to who we're actually speaking with here. His name is James Gearing. He's a former firefighter, stuntman, and exercise physiology graduate. Originally from England, James moved to the U.S. in 2002 and spent 14 years as a firefighter and paramedic serving on both the East and West Coast. He is also the author of the firefighter book, One More Light, Life, Death, and Humanity Through the Eyes of a Firefighter. We've got the podcast part started, but tell us more about you as a human. Very long story, very short. I grew up on a farm in England. I 
would like to think that I was exposed to the spectrum of awesome human beings that are out there from either side of the socioeconomic scale. I got to watch my dad, who was a veterinary surgeon, heal animals. So I got to be around blood and guts. I got to grow up around a big family, around a dining room table in a farm. So I think there was a lot of conditioning for the fire service, which was brilliant. And then I went to a high school physical, did one of those stupid colorblind book tests, and then they told me I could never be a firefighter. So for years, I fumbled around careers, which is how I found stunts. Um, I was a lifeguard, a stuntman, all kinds of things. And it wasn't until I moved to the US that I kind of had an epiphany that I could challenge this ridiculous medical assessment. And uh, lo and behold, I'm not completely colorblind. I can see colors, just not as well as some people. And uh, yeah, that kind of sent me into the fire service. So for me, I think the burning desire has always been that wanting to make the world better. And the older you get, the more suffering you witness, especially in uniform. Sometimes you see compassion fatigue as our men and women get beaten down by the shifts and, and the culmination of what we see and maybe some things in their early life that they never addressed. I never lost that though. That was always burning to the point where ultimately I transitioned out because I wanted to be a force multiplier. I wanted to not only help the people that we run on when the calls come in, the tones go off, but also I started seeing my friends die, my fellow firefighters suffering through ailments and their children suffering. And you realize that there was a much bigger issue than just calling three numbers and us responding, that there was a certainly a national, if not a global, issue that I wanted to kind of help unravel. And the first responders lens, what we see, if you think about it, very few people get to hear. Now, obviously you do because you're in the firefighter family. And I would argue you're the backbone of the first responder community, definitely. But you, know, you talk and it's just to give an example the fat shaming biggest beautiful conversation from a kindness and comp compassion point of view there's absolute validity to not being a bully and not having prejudice towards people because of size but if we now create adoration for obesity that smacks against what the paramedics and doctors and nurses of the world see which is a 45 year old human being that had their lifespan cut in half because they were raised in an environment that encouraged that you know what i mean so i think it's, it's a really unique perspective and we don't have Jocko Willinks in the fire service. We don't have these, you know, amazing figures that are educating the world on our profession. So that is kind of one of the things I set out to do, not to be an expert myself because I'm not, but to bring all these voices in to educate not only civilians on what we see and do, but also the fire service on the wellness elements, because a lot of us will go to a two-day course and come back as the fitness guru or the peer support guru. And obviously there are people that have dedicated their life's work that are actually the experts that I wanted to bring in. It's so funny that you say this. I think we were just talking about this last night with Ashley, or maybe you and I were talking about it side convo, Chelsea. Like you can't just go to a class and all of a sudden become an expert. It's just not possible. And it's true for even the quote unquote culturally competent counseling and, and therapists. It's like you can't just take one class and expect to put that label on your card and understand anything about first responders until you've actually walked in their shoes and have really spent some time in the trenches with them. That stuff is kind of mind-blowing to me. It's just like, I don't know. So I love that you're bringing on those kind of people. I mean, that's kind of where we're at too. We like to hear from 
the people who are actually in it and understand it and can tell us their experience about it because you learn way more from experience than you do from a class. Sorry, it's just a fact. A two-day class at that or a <laughs> one slide. I think we've heard on this podcast before, like it's one slide, mm-hmm. one slide one about chapter. mental health, mm-hmm. one slide and that's it, right? Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. We applaud you for that. That's thank you for getting that ball rolling. I think your podcast has been around quite a while. And in fact, when we started this little podcast journey, you were the first person that my husband was like, you got to get this guy on the podcast. So here we are four years later and here you are on our podcast. So things come full circle. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I always just tell people like I, I have people on my radar for years and years and years. And sometimes it's just universe spits it out at the right time. I mean, we were supposed to record on day X and we ended up doing today. And that's because this is the perfect time for whatever reason. So that's what I love. It's not if, it's when. It's not like if you don't get this person on at this time, then you're never going to talk to them again. You know, when I've soaked around with people before and when we finally do sit down, some huge life-changing event has happened to them that we wouldn't have never have discussed had we sat down originally. So uh, yeah, it's kind of cool the way it, you know, organically happens when we're supposed to sit down together. And it's interesting to us, like the people that reach out to us that we never thought in a million years would want either us on their podcast or to be on our podcast. And the things that they want to discuss, like just having on our guest yesterday that we were talking with, it was like mind blowing that they wanted to be sharing their story first with us and our listeners. So it's a great honor to do what we do. And yeah, we're mind blown every single day like it's fun and it's exciting and it's just a huge honor so and we're so happy to have you with us today telling your story so you have a book out tell us about your book the origin story of the book a long long time ago i was on shift one day and i don't think it was even a very acute call but i came back and it was you know three in the morning whatever it was went into the bunk room tried to get to sleep and i just couldn't and it was around the time when we were starting to see story after story after story of of first responder suicide and i just had this concept and it was around a quote from the film burn that was about detroit fire and it was one of their engineers dave parnell who said uh, i wish my mind could forget what my eyes have seen. And I was like, there's a whole thing to be written about that. So I ended up getting up middle of the night, going to the office and just typing up this blog post. And I started the podcast. So I had a website. So this was my very first blog post I put out, put it on social media, went to bed and then woke up the next day and it had already taken off. And I'm like, oh, okay, (laughs) this is interesting. There's definitely a need for these kind of stories to be told. And so as the years went on, I think it was about three years, I only put out, I think it's 12 or something posts. And there were always, you know, when it was organically time to write, never, oh, I need to put on quote unquote content. Oh, let me just ask AI to write a thing for me like people do these days, which blows my mind. But after a few years, I was like, I'd love to actually write a book. And I started reading the blog posts again. And the idea sat in my in the back of my mind for about a year. And then ironically, just before COVID hit, I kind of picked it up and I started writing again. Then that happened. And then I was like, oh, okay, well, this is, you know, a good opportunity to sit down and create while the world is, you know, closed and some people are losing their mind. And so I kind of pulled the blog posts in and I expanded on them greatly and added new chapters and put together this book. And the overview is this. It looks like a biography. It's not a biography at all. I just wanted to take all the elements that affect us, whether it was mental health and suicide, sleep deprivation, overcoming injury, obesity, all these areas that we see and give a takeaway. So I would take a story from my career 
all my life as the beginning as the kind of hook and then lead into that concept so really it's almost like a bunch of short stories in a way but very kind of engaging for a responder and a civilian because they're very raw stories but then leading into things that literally will you can walk away and go i'd never thought of it that way or let me go research that thing so that was the reason why i did that and then my second one which i'm writing now is a fiction which is a <laughs> whole different genre that i've leapt out of the frying pan again and currently sitting in the flames trying to work out what to do that's fun though it is that's how you grow i think you know i mean i'm never considered myself a creative person but there's no better way to start something than to tell the world that you're going to start something and then you're kind of held accountable and you just uh, fumble your way through and don't be afraid to be really bad at something and you know look back and you know a year two years later and go oh no i wrote a book that's pretty cool you know check that off i love the quote take the leap and develop your wings on the way down like that's that's it that's the way to do it so you talked about your blog for a second and i want to talk about it for a minute because I was reading through your website this morning and this blog really caught my attention. It's from 2018. So you probably remember the how to kill a firefighter in five easy steps. Yes. And it's still the same problem today. So by that point, it had been a couple of years talking about some very pertinent things, which is flogging a dead horse to some people if they listen to the podcast a lot. But it blows my mind how people are still completely oblivious to it. But yeah, for example, we talk about cancer. Oh, it's, you know, wash your gear. Absolutely a small part of the overall thing. But the strength of the individual's human body to resist carcinogens is a massive part of that. Mental health. Oh, James, it was what you saw with that, you know, decapitated three-year-old. Absolutely. That's a part of it. But if, you know, for example, my own personal journey, and I never actually, I was very, very fortunate. I had so many positive coping mechanisms given to me just by accident. I mean, none of us can manipulate our childhood, but I was extremely lucky. But I almost died in a house fire when I was four. So, you know, you could look at the the three-year-old thing and be like, why isn't he getting better? Well, maybe I've never addressed the four-year-old me thing before I ever put the uniform on. So that piece was really seeing that this information was kind of getting out there and people completely still refusing to address that. So for example, sleep deprivation, the shifts. One of the things that die on my sword elements is that the insanity that if you go into a bank or a grocery store right now, 99% of the people working there, their work week ends at 40 hours. But the person that wakes up from a dead sleep at three in the morning, slides down a two-story pole, gets in the back of a rig, drives lights and sirens against traffic, goes to a fire, makes entry, does a search, pulls someone out, maybe even then doffs their gear and functions as a paramedic, 56-hour week is perfectly acceptable before mandatory. So this was the big thing. is like, yeah, if you want to kill firefighters and just keep doing the same thing that you're doing and you're smashing it, congratulations, you're, you're reaching your quota, which is what is the body count again? Or we could actually take a step back, listen to all the science that's already out there from every other profession except ours and police and realize that we're killing our people. And until we invest in our first responders and give them the rest and the recovery that we need, in our profession, I would argue that a 2472 should be an industry standard at minimum. Then, I mean, the longer time goes on, the more blood is on your hands and you have the information. Like just my podcast alone, 800 experts from neuroscientists to sleep medicine experts to coaches and nutritionists and you name it. So you can't say you didn't know. So now it's knowingly burying your people. And that was 2018. That's five years ago. I was already just angry about it because I myself had put two years worth of information out there. 
for free. Anyone can access. No Patreon, no exclusive membership, just open source for the whole world. So what they say about insanity doing the same thing, expecting different results. You know, push-ups haven't fixed mental health. Clean cabs. I'm all for that concept, not surgically, but uh, leaning that way. But we're still losing people hand over fist from cancer. So it's not just the fires. It's not just the exposures to trauma. There's other elements that we have to bring into this conversation. I mean, and what do you think, honestly, what is it going to take to actually change? You know, this blog is from 2018, like you said, and it's, we are still beating the same horse. And it, it's been like that for, you know, God only knows. And it seems like it's actually getting worse, right? From Chelsea's perspective. I mean, <laughs> it's mind blowing. The Like I was just reading a union letter from one of our local departments and it's like they're 20 days mandoed. I mean, that's nothing compared to some Cal Fire journeys. And it's just like, what is it going to take to actually get people to change? I'm going to chime in on that because I think that we're stuck in a 1940s model. Yeah. And I think that that's a dangerous, slippery slope when we're stuck back in the 40s and we're not evolving. And I think that that's a problem across the board. Yeah. My husband and I talk about it all the time, just in the family dynamic alone. You know, in 1940, you had the firefighter going off to work and the wife was staying home because that's what all the wives did. But now you have the firefighter going to work and the wife's going to work and the kids are going to daycare or various other places and it just doesn't work. In this day and age, that's just not a good model. And so, you know, you talk about sleep deprivation. Absolutely. You have got sleep deprivation from working too much and then coming home and having to deal with all these other things that are happening. And so we need to start evolving <laughs> past 1940. And I think you're right, Audrey. I don't think it's gotten better. Um, I think there's a lot more resources than there ever has been. But if we don't ever do anything with the resources, what's the point? Mm-hmm. Well, this is this is the thing. So from our perspective first, so looking at the firefighter and the way we talk about the way we work. And I, I did a video a few months ago now to illustrate this. We work one day on two days off. That's what we say. So my little video, I had a bunch of poker chips and I had stacks. So I'm like, okay, here's your one day on. That's actually three eight hour days crammed together. So we call three days one day. So it's actually three days on, one day off. Because by the time you get off on that second day, you've already worked an eight-hour day from midnight till shift change. So we actually work three days on, one day off. And it's not 10 days a month. It's 30 days a month. So firstly, we got to stop telling this fairy tale that we have this most amazing shift schedule because we don't. We work more than 90-whatever percent of the planet, you know, outside of third-world countries and places that are being worked to death, literally. You know, so there's that fallacy first. There's, as you said, 1940s versus today, the combination of fire and EMS and the call volume now, people still act like, and we got to stop these stupid freaking TikTok, Instagram video. Oh, the, the firefighters are always sleeping and oh, the cops are always eating donuts. You're doing that for likes, but what you're doing is you're just adding fuel to the fire of firefighters are lazy, which stand on any artery road in a city and listen for sirens. They never end because our people are running 24 hours a day. I know I did, at least in my whole career. So there's that fallacy. But for it to change, you hear people talking about, oh, firefighters like a business, fire department, you know, the kind of Brunacini and some of these things. And it's not. I disagree 100%. It's a service. But if you want to look at a business, all right, well, then why are you looking at the Indian sweatshop model and not the Google or the Richard Branson's Virgin? You know, if we're going to look at business and look at a business actually creating wellness in their employees. So the only way I think, because to me as, as a kind, compassionate human being, the fact that I was losing people, that's 
all I would need to be out there and force and change. But that is not the case for a lot of these counties and cities. So it's the budget thing. I am so white belt when it comes to economics and math. However, you listen to anyone else and you look at all the parallel professions, the naval industry, aviation, the military, you see what happens when you overwork your people. You pay hand over fist in medical retirements, workman's comp, overtime coverage, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So even financially, anyone with any ounce of understanding of economics would know that you invest in your people, you're going to save so much money. That would put that fourth person back on the rig. That would open that browned out station. You know, that would give you extra staffing for wildfire season or hurricane season. So this is the thing. There is zero sense to any of this. The only barrier is that so many people in these unions, in these chief positions, in these administration positions, they want to look good now. They want to be the rock star. They want to have the TikTok followers in a fire service, basically fire service terms, rather than plant the seed of a tree under the shade, which they'll never know. Invest in their department and do things for people, even if they're gone. That is real leadership. You're not there for the glory. You know, you're there to, to do good in the world. So that's kind of... I'm sorry. Can you just repeat? <laughs> can we get you a soapbox, like a really, really big one? Because that was... So good. So one more time, what is real leadership? Real leadership is investing in your people and your department without waiting for the glory. Yeah, because how many of these people are promoting to BC assistant chief, even into like an art department, even the state level? And really what they're there for is the money or the promotion and all the glory that comes with it. And they're not really thinking about the future, you know, so then you get somebody that actually is doing that and they get so burnt out that they just leave. They just give up. Yep. Because they just can't fight the good fight anymore. They don't have it in them anymore. Mm -hmm. And that's a real shame. Like a real, real shame. The bureaucracy is bullshit. Staggering. Staggering well, bullshit. It's manufactured <laughs> resistance though. You think about it. No one joined a fire department wringing their hands going, one day I'm going to make sure that I go to at least one suicide funeral a quarter. You know what I mean? They're not thinking about that. But they get stuck in this machine. And I was using this analogy the other day that I forget what the, the term is, but you know, the, the travelator, the, the people mover in the airports, you know, the flat one. It's like once you get on there, someone's standing on the real floor going, what are you doing? Well, it's too late. We're on here now, you know, and it's just person after person after person. So they start getting beat down. They start getting tired. They can't think as clearly because they're foggy because, you know, they're sleep deprived. And then this cycle just continues. And, and I, you know, metaphorically leapt off that thing kind of circumstance put me in a really shitty department at the end of my career coupled with a knee injury which i rehabbed it gave me the time to step back and i've been in four departments i've been a bit of a gypsy because i lived east coast went west coast for a while and then went east coast again to you know where you're you're kind of outside looking in and going holy shit these these people have lost their minds but i only knew i mean to be you know full transparency nine years ago i was just learning this stuff you know and then i go well, why don't we know this and i had a background in exercise physiology i've been an athlete i've been a coach and i was still oblivious to the true impact of sleep deprivation and you know the the um, circadian rhythm disruption and all these other areas but now that we know this it it takes education like i said from the firefighter to stop telling these fairy tales about what we do 
all the way through to chiefs, administrators, and in unions as well. I mean, if you're part of a union and you're opposing fitness standards and opposing the work week to be changed, and like I said, I'm not trying to take away 24s. I think that's the only way that we can function in the fire service specifically. But an extra day in between, a 42-hour work week, then shame on you. You've got no business being in a union if you're not truly fighting for the wellness of your people rather than focusing on some sort of dynamic that gets you more overtime down the road. I wonder, too, like if people are actually opposing that on the union or if it's the union hitting their head on the bureaucratic tape. Because I know, at least with my husband's department, they've been hitting their head on that brick wall for years. They're trying to get down to a 56-hour work week instead of a 72-hour work week. And it's been a fight to the death. And and I don't understand really why, because going back to like the business model of things, right? The more people you have, the less overtime you have. Would you rather pay time and a half or straight time? Like I just don't, economically, it doesn't make sense to me. You literally understaff your department on purpose. Why? It's what they call a false economy. It's that cheap plastic toy that you bought in the dollar store that your child plays with twice and then falls apart versus you spend three times the price and your kid's 18 and they end up giving it to their kid. You know what I mean? That's Mm -hmm. the difference between the two. And I mean, I will tell you from a union perspective, there's plenty of union shop stewards and union presidents that still don't believe mental health is real and that it needs to be supported in the fire service. And they're still living that, I call it delusion, I'm sorry. If you really think that like that suck it up mentality is going to work, it's just not. So there's that aspect of it for me. Yeah, but I won't get on that soapbox. (laughs) To bring some optimism, aside from everyone having their own awakening and asking questions and doing some more research, in November, um, we had two suicides here in Marion County, two firefighters, two young firefighters within a few weeks of each other. And this is not a big department. It's a county department, but we're not that big. And a local businessman, Rich, actually stepped up and we just by chance, we happen to have one of the world's leading research organizations in our town, a satellite office. So he coupled with them and they do what they call the Blue Skies Project, where you can come to them with a problem. And their customers, just to put it in perspective, are NASA, Navy SEALs, you know, I mean, just the, the most elite kind of organizations. And he said, you know, what are we going to do? And I was just pure good timing. I just met this organization. So they brought me in as well to be a voice. I'm not the research expert side. I'm just like, what, what is the problem? What do we need to fix? And in the conversation, the chief was talking to the head of this organization. And he was saying, the guy had asked, well, what are you doing for human performance? And the chief said, oh, well, we have an annual fitness test. And there's a central gym that anyone can use. And, and the guy almost laughed. And he goes, that's not human performance. And then, you know, no disrespect to the chief, but that's the disconnect that I'm talking about. Within that fire service, like, oh, we're leading in fitness from the, the human performance world. They're like, that's kindergarten stuff. What are you talking about? You know, so this is what we're fighting with. But this research project, I'm hoping is going to give that data because people say this to me and it drives me up the wall. Oh, James, have you got the research that shows that a 56 hour week is more detrimental than a 42 hour week? And I'm like, Can, yeah, I'll, I'll send that can you send me research that shows that uh water gets you wet can you find that for me i mean for god's sake do we need a research project to show that you know two full work days more a week is going to be detrimental to a profession that doesn't sleep like come on man you know put your big boy pants on i mean didn't google do something about like we need to take a 20 minute nap every day so they made a nap room like if google's doing that 
obviously like well i went to google oh, wow. hq in london um a few months ago uh, someone who i was uh, meeting over there her son worked there and just seeing google you know there's there's a beautiful gym in there the food served in the cafeteria is incredibly healthy they have to get their work done how when is entirely up to them but if you, again, want to look at the corporate world, we're a business. Look at these stories where people are realizing that they the 40-hour work week, they're like, we tried the four eight-hour days, the 32-hour work week, and realized that people were just as productive, sometimes more so, because they got three days with their family, and they were more recharged, and they were just more efficient, and they were more innovative. Okay, I need to get this amount of work done. I'm going to do this, this, and this. Oh my God, that worked. So again, we're comparing ourselves to a, an area, an industry that's actually looking at reducing their work week even more, you know? So this is the problem is, you know, and I'm hoping this research is going to show that. So there will be data saying, look, this is what human performance looks like. This is how far away you are and hopefully they'll weave in the human cost so that finally these organizations can go, this is irrefutable. We can't ignore this now because this organization is the pinnacle of research and they've told our profession that we are so broken when it comes to gleaning the best out of our employees and forging longevity. So I hope, you know, I'll, I'll keep everyone posted, but in November, this will happen. I hope we'll finally have some fire department specific research that will illustrate for counties, cities, etc., that it's an absolute false economy and they are 100% behind all the mental and physical health issues that their employees are suffering from. We were trying to do our own research and try to find studies on the divorce rate in firefighters because we feel like there's a lot of negative information out there saying that the divorce rate is higher for firefighters than it is for the average American. And the last study that was done was like 2016. Imagine if the, the mother or father, husband and wife was in a home that extra day between those two shifts. Imagine how much more quality time you could have with your partner, how many, how many more soccer games, birthdays, Christmases you could be present at, how much few more days longer that family vacation could be. So it's only going to improve that as well. I don't think you should regret relationships unless it was abusive or something. You know, sometimes they just have an expiration date and it is what it is. But it's tragic when what potentially would have been a super healthy marriage becomes unhealthy because of a profession of some sort, whether it's military deployed, whether it's police and fire and EMS. So we're only going to positively affect that statistic, whatever it is. Yeah, I love that. Okay, Audra, do you have any more follow-up questions before we hit hot seat? No, because this was so good. I think we should leave it right there. It was so good. Let's put you on the hot seat, James. Let's do it. Okay, so for those of you who are just tuning in today, or possibly if James has never heard what the hot seat is, just a series of rapid-fire questions that you answer honestly, and with the first thing that comes to mind, you don't have to like super hard think about it. There is one question that you might have to think about for a second, but the rest of them <laughs> are pretty easy. So are you ready? I'm ready, I think. All right, here we go. First question, what's your favorite joke? Oh, this is this is an easy one because my sister used to tell it years and years ago. Knock knock. Who's there? No. Oh fuck! I messed it up already, and I swore. I'm sorry. But this is this is why I don't tell jokes because I'm so bad at telling jokes. It's supposed to go knock knock. Who's there? Impatient cow. They say impatient cow too, and then you say move really fast. But the fact that I butchered this first hot seat question shows you why I don't and should never attempt to tell a joke ever. So there we go. <laughs> bad dad jokes 101 <laughs> <laughs> bad dad jokes destroyed 101 can't even tell them so there we go i'm like bad grandpa Maybe... or whatever that makes me okay next question what is your biggest regret 
genuinely, I don't have some. I honestly have things that I'm not proud of, but hand on my heart, every single footstep, every heartbeat, everything I've said and done, positive or negative, has led me here. So I don't believe that regret is a healthy emotion, but assessment of the things you did well and the things you didn't do well is very important. That is so、Audrey、good. And I, yeah, we love that. We were both like, yes, yes to that.、Mm-hmm. <laughs> If you had the chance to say anything you possibly could to any chief, what would you say? Give me a body count. And what I mean by that is, once we hit that quota, are we going to change then? So, how many more people are you willing to lose before we start changing?、You、write that number down. Put it up on the pinboard. Let everyone know that's the quota. You know, there's the employees. We had zero accidents. Eighteen deaths. That's that's our goal. That's our quota. Once we get there, we're going to start changing. So, how? Give me a number. How many until you start changing? He's still on a bar. Dang, <laughs> right? Like my stomach just dropped. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, you seem like you might do a lot of reading. I kind of see some books on your bookshelf back there. Yeah, this, they're just for show. This, the books are all about how to write a dad joke. Actually, <laughs> I haven't read、awesome. a single one of them. <laughs> that must be what you're currently reading, right? Have a kind of dad joke.、Um, So, what are you currently reading, or what books would you recommend to our listeners? So, I am currently not reading. I did a, a huge amount of reading before I started writing. I'm not allowing myself to read until I finish my book because I really, genuinely did so much prep. There are so many great books. I think one of the most pertinent it should have been discussed many, many times, but I think one of the must reads for the fire service and anyone really is Sebastian Younger's Tribe. When you hear him talking about being an embedded journalist in Afghanistan and seeing some of the highest level of combat and watching his soldiers, watching these—I think it was Marines—I、so、got that right—and the cohesion despite deaths in this unit once they were in this absolute, you know, terrifying fob that they were trying to hold. But when they transitioned to Italy, where they had their demob, whatever they they call it, and they were fragmented then. That's when they started seeing problems, and he breaks down tribalism in the positive way. You know how, for example, in America, you know we always think about you know the white guys rescuing the damsel in distress from the Indians. Well, actually, when you look at you know a lot of the real stories, there were many times where people were you know, officially kidnapped by the Iroquois or these other tribes, but then when the people came to rescue them, they didn't want to go because compared to urban life in whatever city, the at one in nature life. They discovered, and obviously, I'm not saying that all Native American tribes were kind and peaceful and everything, but you know, there was a lot more tribalism, a lot more sense of purpose and belonging. And then he parallels that in the military, which obviously directly relates to the fire service. So when you look at that, and then you see the retirees, the people that got injured, even promoted from a you know a, a crew to a desk, it just it makes so much sense. You were part of something, and then you're not anymore. And unless you can find a new tribe, a lot of our people struggle. There's a thousand books I could recommend, but that's always one because if you read it, it blows your mind, and and you'll be like, okay, it's amazing. But if you haven't read it yet, it's an absolute must. And if you have zero books on your bookshelf, make this the first one. Okay, I'm gonna add it to my list now because it sounds really good. All right, any final thoughts, James? 
Not really, no. I mean, just, you know, thank you again for, you know, inviting me on. I think the more of us that are out there, the more voices, the more we educate as many people as possible through all the ranks from young youth in a potentially wanting to get into the fire service, maybe in a mentorship program all the way through to the retirees. There are millions of us, millions of us. If we all have a united front and actually educate ourselves to the point where we understand that so many of these deaths are preventable so many just the suffering you know the the needless organizational stress for example you know the micromanaging all these things that drive people crazy you know we already do a job that's stressful we don't need to manufacture stress i always tell people get educated and get angry that's what we need angry without any understanding is pointless you end up protesting masks and not masks you know you're just advocating for stuff (laughs) that doesn't make any sense but if you educate yourself and understand why change is worthy of a fight now you have a purpose. Now you can truly have that brotherhood, sisterhood, camaraderie, that union that that word is supposed to mean, where we all band together and actually force change and advocate not only for ourselves, but for generations behind us as well. And with that, we thank you for spending time with us today. You can listen to James on Behind the Shield on all your favorite listening apps. Find more information on jamesgearing.com and on Instagram. At, is it Behind the Shield podcast or just Behind the Shield? Behind the Shield 911. If you love the show today, give us a good review on Apple or Spotify. It helps others find us on streaming platforms. And thank you. That was amazing. Thank you. That was, that was a lot of fun. Thanks so much for tuning in. Find us on social media at Dear Chiefs Podcast and online at DearChiefs.com. Tune in weekly for the 25,000-foot view of loving a first responder. Audra and Chelsea, over and out. Over and out.